0: Well, this morning we begin a new series in in uh, in our sermons. We were going to look at 1st, uh, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in there we, we see the theme of walking in the light, and so that's why we've got these new banners up, walk in the light. 1st John uh, is a very interesting book. It seems simple, the way John writes seems simple on the surface, and yet... As you study it, it becomes more intricate underneath. But it's always expressed, everything John says is expressed in an almost poetic presentation. In first John, we see him talking about light and darkness, love and hate, truth and lies, sin and righteousness, life and death, Christ and the Antichrist, God and and the devil. The way he writes is almost impossible to outline. I mean people outline it all the time. And it's interesting because none of them resemble each other's outlines. Um, the fir- one commentator describes the first paragraph of First John as a grammatical tangle. And so John writes these poetic grammatical tangles, but inside of them there's precious truth that we actually need. We need what's in there. He defends the primacy of believing the right things about Christ. He exposes fatal ideas that somehow we can be okay with God and yet willfully delight in disobedience. He spurs us on to love one another. Always, always, he circles back around to love. The more we read these little books, and by the way, the 2nd and 3rd John, this is a trivia question you might get someday. Uh, They're the shortest books in the Bible. Um, So, and even 1st John isn't that long. And the more we read these little books, the more we realize that his simple almost poetic presentation is actually loaded for bear. We can't stay in these books long without being challenged. Challenged about the object of our faith, the cleanness of our lives and the fervency of our love. And it's my prayer that you and I will be challenged by these three little books. And I want us to start with 1 John. It's unusual. First John is unusual because there's no greeting at all. He just jumps right in. He just jumps right in to, to what he's saying. So maybe, maybe that's what we should do. So turn to First John, if you will. It's on page 1021, if you're uh, using our Bible. And this morning we're going to look at the first four verses. And as we go into, the, into this year, our plan is is we're going to be in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John all the way up to the GO conference, our global outreach conference in October. And, um, and we're preaching this together. So it, when it's Ben's turn to preach, he'll just pick up there and Chris and Adam and John and whoever else we can find. So, uh, but we, we're planning all this together and working on it together. And it's, we're trusting that God will speak to us. So let me read for you the first four verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, and then he he makes a parenthesis on himself, he says, the life... The life was made manifest, and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Then it goes back to his original sentence: "That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Father, I pray that that you would, uh, we've prayed already, but I want to pray again that your Holy Spirit, who inspired John to write these words, would inspire, well not inspire, but enable me to explain the words and all of us to hear it so that it's it's you speaking to us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So he's talking about this life. You see in verse 1, he says that which we've, we've, we've heard it, we've seen it, we've touched on it. He says concerning the word of life, so that he's, it's life that he's talking about. And he goes on then to this life was made manifest. And, and it's, he's talking about life. The word of life. He's proclaiming a message about life. And... Uh, as I was meditating on these four verses, I began to realize that there's four, four uh, we could say, aspects of this life that he's woven into his grammatical tangle. And he's explaining this life to us. Remember, he's going to say a lot more as we go on. He's, there's five chapters, he's going to say a lot more. But here in the beginning, he's putting it out there. I'm talking about life and let's look at those four characteristics, or there's four, not characteristics, but aspects of the life that he's talking about. Let's use the words that he's using. First of all, we see that this life is manifest. You see in verse 2, The life was made manifest. And then later in verse 2, it says, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. It was, it was, it was shown to us. It was, it, was, it was explained to us. The spotlight was shine, shined on the life, light, life, excuse me, so that we could see it. And as I meditated upon this and looked at this, I could see that what this means, among other things, is that it was not hidden But displayed. This life was not hidden but displayed. Twice, he says, it's made manifest. Have you ever met somebody that says something like this? You get to talking for some reason you wind up on the on uh, your hobbies and he says, man, I've I've got a great stamp collection. It is like awesome. It's like fantastic. Can I see it? He says, no, I I got it in my safety deposit box. (laughs) Yeah. He never looks at it and nobody else looks at it, but he's got this great, fantastic stamp collection. I was, um, uh, I was interested in, in uh, I, I, my wife and I enjoy learning a little bit about art. Um, I make fantastic stick figures, but I appreciate people that can do more than that. And I looked at this one study of 13 of the major artists in in history. And uh, so that these are the people, their artwork is in museums, most of it. But um, some people own some of it, of course. A quarter of all their work is in storage. A quarter of all the, you know, they took some of the 13 most notable artists and fully 25% of their work, nobody ever looks at it because it's locked up back somewhere. Half of Pablo Picasso's works are in darkness. They're, of course, we might that might not be so bad, but... <laughs> I don't know how you feel about Picasso's work. <clears throat> but half of it is in darkness. It's, it's locked up in behind vaults, and nobody ever, nobody ever looks at it. But God, when he wants us to know about life, and to know for us to experience this life, he made it manifest. It's not hidden, it's right out there, it's displayed. The Apostle Paul, when he had been arrested, and before his trip to Rome, but he's defending himself before the government and the religious officials. In Acts twenty six he said to Festus, who was one of the officials, he says, I am and he had just talked about the death and resurrection of Christ. And he says, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. That's in Acts twenty six. Paul was able to stand and say before the king, and say, "You know about this? This this wasn't this isn't a story fabricated. You know about it. It made the headlines. It was out in the open. Jesus Christ was not hidden." His death and resurrection were not hidden. One time, uh, Jesus' brothers came to him, His physical brothers came to him to try to get him to you know, they, they were getting nervous about all the crowds and all this. They were trying to get him to step back from all of this. And Jesus said, "For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly." That's in John chapter seven. He wanted to be known openly. He was known openly. When it says here that the life was made manifest, it means it wasn't hidden, but it was displayed. But it also means that it's not discovered, but revealed. We didn't go out and discover this life. God came to us and and displayed it right before our eyes. He revealed it to us. And you think about this through the whole Bible. This is the way it's been. When Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when they had sinned, who came seeking for who? God came and sought them out. Abraham did not sign up for patriarch school. Abraham was called by God. God went to him and called him and put him in that position. David didn't sign up for king school he said i didn't he didn't take an aptitude test and then his guidance counselor in high school said i think you should you'd make a good king god, god used samuel the, the the prophet and the judge to anoint him and said, you're going to be king. God went after him. So it is. So it was with the prophets. And so it was with John the Baptist. Even beginning with his parents. It's God who decided. It's God who initiated. It's God who, who revealed what he was doing. And then comes Christ. In Romans 3, verses 9 to 11, the Apostle Paul is quoting uh, the old, an Old Testament passage, and he says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, Jews and non Jews, are all under sin. And this is where he quotes. He says, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. We might look on the outside like, at times, like we're seeking for God. People might look that way. But on the inside, they're they're seeking for God on their own terms. They're not really seeking for the true God. And those that are are seeking for the true God are, are doing that because God's taking the initiative to begin drawing them to himself. No one's just naturally seeking after God. We didn't find this, this life because we were looking for it. That's what John's saying. We, f- we found this life because God in his grace came to us and revealed it to us. Amen? Later in the book, in chapter 4, John says, We love because he first loved us, and so it is. God takes the initiative. God pursues us and draws us to himself. So when this life is manifest, it means it's, it's not hidden, but displayed. It's not discovered, but revealed. But here's one of John's points, and he's gonna drive this home over and over in his circular way of writing, all the way through 1 John. When we're saying that it's manifest, this life is manifest, he means it's not only spiritual, but physical. This life was made manifest in the flesh. This life is a person. That's what he's saying in here. Look again at verses 1 to 3. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, we heard it, which we have seen with our eyes. We saw it. This wasn't just spiritual, it's physical. We, we saw it. And uh, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands. We, we grabbed it. We touched it. He said, concerning the word of life. This life is not just spiritual and ephemeral. It's physical. It's human. There's so many parallels between the beginning of 1st John and the way the same John began the Gospel of John. Let me read you a little bit from the beginning of the Gospel of of John, and it says, And the Word became flesh, so the Word, the eternal Word, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him fully known. So here here we see that, that, um, that this, this life has become flesh. Amen? We, we ought to all, see, we're, we've been in church a long time, many of us, not all of us, but many of us, and so we're no longer surprised by this. We ought to be stunned. So this life is physical, it's flesh, it's a person. It's an actual person. Look at um, John chapter 20. Well, or I could read it to you. John 20 uh, last week was Easter, and we, we remember that we were in John 20 for, uh, for the resurrection. But then what happened a little while later, after the empty tomb, we get to verse 24. So I'm, I'm at John 20, 24. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Jesus had appeared to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Amen? What our eyes have seen, what, what our ears have heard, what our hands have touched, we're proclaiming to you. This is life. And this life is in the flesh. And we believe. Like Thomas, we believe this life is manifest. It's made manifest. Now, back in 1 John, it's also, the life is secondly, it's eternal. This life is eternal. Look at verse 2. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it, And proclaim to you, aha, now he adds an adjective in there. He's going to describe the life. He talked before about the life, the word of life. He says, um, and so now he he says to you, you, proclaim to you the eternal life. This life is eternal. Go back up to verse 1. He begins, that which was from the beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of everything. This is the, what, that which was from the beginning. This makes us think about the way the whole Bible started, right? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, In the beginning, God. That's was in the beginning. Before anything else, there's God. And John says, that which was from the beginning, that was from the beginning, that which was eternal, our hands have touched. Our eyes have seen, our ears have heard. This is amazing. This, he says, is is eternal life. It's eternal life. And he said it again in in the beginning of the Gospel of John. Let me read a few verses to you. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is eternal, from eternity to eternity. This life is eternal life. And then later... Look, look at this. it's It's so interesting. So, well, wait, let me back up. Don't look at it yet. So, in the beginning, he's he's starting. remember, he's going to write five chapters. So he's just introducing stuff here. He's being creative. He's not toying with us, not playing with us, but he's getting our attention. He's not really here saying, who the life is yet. He hasn't said it explicitly, but he's saying, here's this life. It's, we put our hands on it and heard it. Now he's using the word eternal. Well, let's jump ahead. When you get to the end of the book, go to John chapter five, 1 John 5, second to last verse. 1 John 5, verse 20. 20, 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ he is the true God and eternal life amen now by the time you get there you already know that but he's saying it right at the end right up front making no mistake about it and filling in whatever blanks he might have left us with in the beginning of the book. This eternal life is Jesus Christ. He is eternal life, but he came in the flesh. He came in the flesh. I want to just make one point here that real Christianity, real Christianity, there's lots of distortions of Christianity and fake Christianity, but real Christianity is rooted in actual historic places and times and people and events. It is not a fiction. It is not a teaching. It is a person who came to earth. It is eternal life in the flesh that lived during the time of Pontius Pilate. He was born of a virgin. The old creed said this, I believe in God the Father, the creator of the heavens and Earth, and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son and then it goes on who who lived who suffered under Pontius Pilate why did they say that in those old creeds the Apostles Creed because they're rooting it in this isn't a story this wasn't made up you can look up in the history books in the annals of the Roman Empire you can go back and you can find this guy Pontius Pilate there's dates next to his name there's places where he served for Rome and they're saying this Jesus Christ the Son of God lived right Right there and then. Eternal life is in a person who's come in here with us. And the wonder of Christmas, we're really talking about Christmas, aren't we? The wonder of Christmas is that he has become one of us. He's become one of us. I remember talking, talking with... Um, a professional one time uh, 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 is in the Lehigh Valley. I won't say too much more because he could be identified, but he's not in our church. But he's not a Christian, and we were we were talking and um, uh, together, and he knew I was a pastor, and we had really good conversations uh, repeatedly. But at one point, you know, he's he's saying, you know, look, w- he knew that I was a believer in Christ, and he was not a believer in Christ and he knew that I knew that he was not a believer in Christ. You know, we're having this conversation. He says, well, what it all really boils down to is that we treat each other well. That we live right and treat each other well. And he was expecting me to nod my head. Yeah, that's what it all boils down to. Well, treating each other well is super important. But what it all boils down to is is a person in the flesh, God the Son, eternal life in the flesh, Jesus Christ, and what you do with him. That's what it boils down to. It's not a code of ethics. It's not just the golden rule. Those things are important, but that, it's not the fun foundational part. It's a person, Jesus Christ... Eternal life. So this life is made manifest. This life is eternal. And this life, thirdly, is proclaimed. This is really, in this convoluted sentence, this is is what he's saying. Look in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. I'm proclaiming this. I'm proclaiming this to you. And he says it up in verse 2, and he uses two different words. Look in verse 2. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify, he uses the word testify, we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. Testify and proclaim, two words used. He's saying this life is being proclaimed, it's being talked about to you. Testify is something that only an eyewitness can do. An eyewitness can testify to what he or she has seen. And, and um, you and I can testify to what we've seen Jesus Christ do in our life. We can testify to what he's done for us. We can testify to what we've seen with eyes of faith. But the Apostle Paul, is he's at another level. This is one of the apostles, amen? This is one of the 12. So he's an eyewitness in a way on a whole other level that you and I can't have. He touched Jesus Christ. He walked with Him. He ate with Him. He labored with Him. He sweated with Him. He listened to Him. He saw Him. And there, that generation is gone. Hallelujah. Look at verse 4. It says, and we are writing these things. That's what we've got. Amen? So his testimony is written down here. So he's testifying. But he's also proclaiming. So he says, I'm testifying to, to you, to it, to you. And I'm proclaiming this to you. That means he's declaring it. He's a, announcing it. He's not, don't take me wrong, but he's not having a conversation. He's making a declaration. Amen? He's not debating it. He's not negotiating it. He's proclaiming it. It's not that we don't have conversations with people. I'm glad people had conversations with me back before I understood. But in the conversations, there's something that it just doesn't change. The message about the eternal life sits there unchanged and needs to be declared to people. And this is what we do. Amen? John did it. He's proclaiming it. But this is what we do too. Those who received the word from John, they did it. This is amazing to me. We ought not lose the wonder of this. That when Jesus, he rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples. At one time we know of, uh, that there were perhaps 500 people in a place where Jesus uh, uh, appeared. And then he ascends back into heaven. So let's just take the number 500. So, so in those days, there, there's 500 people. That's it. Okay? And here we are. 2000 and some years later and the message, this eternal life has gone around the world the number of unreached people groups is getting smaller by the year. Amen? Because we just keep proclaiming and people like yourself and myself we heard the message and we believed in Jesus Christ. Amen? How did that happen? There was only 500 of them over there in the Middle East. But here we are. It's because John's saying, we proclaim. Amen? So this, this um, life is, is it's manifest. It's eternal, but it's proclaimed. And one by one, we open our mouths and we, we, we seek to be a speaking people, a speaking church. And the, the message just keeps going and people hear. We testify for what we've seen in our lives and what we know because of scripture. And uh, we remember that this is verbal. Amen? We do actually open our mouths one way or the other. You don't have to be a preacher like me, but yeah, you, 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 you open your mouth and you speak. I'm looking around the room and I, I know, you know, I, I, I'm thinking of some of you and I, I've heard your stories. I've been around you. you. You talk. You talk to people that you know. You talk to them about, about Jesus Christ. And that's what, that's what it means. Can you imagine, uh, you know, it uses the word testify. Can you imagine being called as a witness into court? There's some court case going on. And you figure, you know, I'm just going to live my life in a way that communicates. Uh, you know, I'm not going to talk a lot, but I, I, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to be a good person. And so you're called to the, to the stand And the guy, the attorney asks you a question, and you just kind of... I'm just living my life. Nice. I'm going to be a nice guy. And he asks you another question, and you just... You get thrown out or accused of contempt of court or something. Witnesses speak. Amen? We speak. That's why you're, we're, on the, we're, we're, we're on the witness stand in the world. What's Jesus like? You can't just be a nice person. Our lives have to support what we speak. Our lives, there's nothing worse than someone talking about the Lord and living horribly. Amen? That's, that's horrible. So our lives have to match what we say. But our lives aren't enough. This is proclaimed, this is verbal, the the message goes. In Romans 10, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in in him of whom they have never heard? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We've got to speak. Amen? One way or another, in our own way, don't feel pressure to be like the preacher, just be yourself. But one way or another, we speak, we speak. And the Word, every time you speak, you're doing what John did here. We're proclaiming eternal life. So, this life is manifest, eternal, and proclaimed. And lastly, I'd like to say that it is also fruitful fruitful. He mentions in here two purposes for which he's proclaiming. Uh, notice notice in verse 3. He says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. And then he says, So that... You see that? That means there's a purpose. He's getting ready to tell you now, why is he doing this? And, and he, he says, So that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ and so as he proclaims god takes the proclamation and he and the results the fruit what happens because of this word of eternal life is that people begin to have fellowship this is very interesting He doesn't say, the reason I'm proclaiming is so that you will be saved. This is really interesting. He doesn't say it that way. He says, the reason I'm proclaiming is so that you will have fellowship with us. Man, it sounds different, doesn't it? Why would he say it that way? I'm proclaiming eternal life so that you will have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Like, this is all, it's all a package. But this is the way he's explaining his purpose. This is actually profound. That fellowship is the purpose of proclamation. You've probably met people like this, and I have too, that, that say... Um, that they don't need the church. They say, I, I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. I don't even go to church or whatever. I, I just, uh, I, I, you can be a Christian without the church, without other Christians. It's not a problem. It's an individual thing. Well, I understand that some people have been burned. They've had a really bad uh, experience in some churches, and there's no apologies for that. Uh, So I understand that there can be baggage from the past, and people are a little bit gun-shy because of what's happened. But, you have to understand, we've got to understand, that there's no picture in the Bible. The Bible gives us no picture of an independent Christian, Fellowship with God, but no fellowship with people. That doesn't exist in this book. It doesn't exist. It's not there. You can look for hours in vain. People say, yeah, but every church I go to has problems. And my answer is, that's because you're there. (laughs) And I'm there churches are full of sinners, so we got problems. And worse than that, they're led by elders that are sinners and a pastor that's a sinner. So we got problems. We mess up. We make mistakes. Uh, Sometimes we sin. But God in his grace works. And if we're honest with him, and if we're willing, we we ask forgiveness and we grant forgiveness and we learn and we move on and we grow and we, we keep walking on together. This is so very, very interesting that the way John says this, we're proclaiming this eternal life. Why? So that you will have fellowship with us. So that your life and, and our lives become entwined, that we begin to participate together. And he's saying, our fellowship is with God through Jesus Christ. You see, you, you can't have fellowship with him without having fellowship with me. I, I can't just say, oh, I, I'm having a great time with God but I'm going to ignore you. Because the whole thing is, no, when you're, when you're saved, when you're brought into a right relationship with God, as John is pointing out, you're brought into a relationship with everybody else that has been brought into a relationship with God. And we're all having fellowship together. And that's the way it's designed. That's the way God wants life to be. Is that we're brought in together and we walk we walk together. We're saved To be brothers and sisters. There's no only child with God. No only child. It's interesting. My grandfather, on my dad's side, was an only child. And my dad was an only child. We had two generations of only, only, only childs. Childs? Can you say that? Only childs. Which really gives me a crazy way to grow up. Because on my whole one side of the family, I had no relatives. None. There's no relatives except my grandparents and my... none. I had no cousins. I had no uncles, aunts, nothing. I, and it took me a while. Then eventually I realized that was weird. <laughs> you know, when you're a kid, you don't know what's weird or not. Everything is just normal. Um, that was weird. Well, there's none of that. There's none of that with God. When he saves you, you got brothers and sisters all over the place. And that's a part of the picture. And so I would just encourage you that with this in mind, with this passage in mind, get, make sure that you take steps to grow in your relationship with other Christians. Here, here in the church, just uh, get in a life group if you're not in a life group. Get to, get to know people. And, and if you've had bad experience in the past, that's okay. Just go slow. God knows all of that. Um, serve. One of the best ways to get uh, in relationship, to grow with other Christians is to serve together. You ever been to Light in the Park? How crazy is that? We go down there in, the, in uh, South Allentown and for a week take over a park and, and it's fantastic. And they need lots of help. Do that. Do something. Uh, serve. Uh, get to know people. Because God says, here through John, we're proclaiming life to you so that you can be in a relationship with other people. Oh, and, oh yeah, and that's the relationship with God. It's all one package. But I said that there were two purposes. Two purposes. Two areas of being fruitful. So, see, the life is fruitful. It produces this, this fellowship, but there's something else too. Look at verse 4. There's another, so that. And we are writing these things so that, another purpose, our joy may be complete. Our joy. We're, we're, this message goes out. This eternal life goes out. Jesus Christ goes out so that we have fellowship with God and others and so that we have joy. Amen? Joy. Joy is what God wants for us. Joy is the result of, of becoming into fellowship with God and his people. When Jesus was... Just about ready to be um, betrayed and, and to go to the cross. In his prayer in John 17, he said this. So he's speaking to God. He says, but now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Is that amazing? He's saying, I'm I'm speaking it. Here comes again, the proclamation of the word. I've spoken these things in the world so that they will have my joy. Fulfilled in themselves. It's parallel, you see, with the fellowship. As we're fellowshipping with each other, it's, it's a fellowship with God. So it's, it's from God. But it, it's not just vertical. It's horizontal. And the joy, the joy is God's. It's Christ's joy. We have it. But it's not just this way. It's this way. When we have this eternal life... We enter into joy. Amen? It's God's joy though. It's His joy. It's not a joy which is detached from God. It's a joy that's with God. You know, we look for joy in all the wrong places. <laughs> we look for joy in all the wrong places. We want to have a nice house and, or, or renovate our house. We... We want our financial situation to be such and such. And if it gets such and such to some level, we'll be happy. Or our job. We just want joy in our job. We seek it in our the work that we do. Perhaps it's in our children that we're looking for joy. Or or our marriage. Or one thing that our our culture presses through the media is through sexual experience that that gets elevated, that that's where you're going to find your joy. But those things always disappoint if they're looked at as the source of your joy. Um, They're only joyous if your real joy is in God. If God is the joy of your life, if that's where you found your joy, these things, as one of the old Puritans said, are, 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 can be sanctified. They're, they become sweetened, and you can enjoy them properly, but they're not your joy. You enjoy them, but your joy is God. Am I... Have I muddied this yet? Okay, my wife said I'm okay. It, speaking of my wife... It's a little bit like garlic. What does that have to My wife's a good cook. And it's great. You know, you have this food in there, and then she puts garlic in it. Isn't it great? Anybody in here like garlic? You know, you put some garlic in there, everything tastes good. Just doesn't taste good, put garlic in it. It tastes good. <laughs> if you have God, and he's, you, you're looking at Him as the source of your joy, Your house, your finances, your job, your children, your marriage, etc., that, you enjoy it. But if you want them to be the source of your joy, you're going to miss it. Imagine being married to somebody that thinks that you are going to be the source of their joy. Oh man, don't put that burden on your husband. Don't put that burden on your wife. They can't be the source of your joy, but if you each are finding your joy in in this fellowship that you have with God now, that eternal life, you'll find yourself enjoying one another properly and, and even in an elevated way, a blessed, exalted way. It's all possible. I want you to Turn with me um, on this. I I, I want us to understand this because there's a lot of false thinking. But turn to 1 Timothy 6.17 and we're going to close here. It's on page 994 if you're using one of our Bibles. 1 Timothy 6.17. Now he's been talking about part of the problem of covetousness and and rich people that have got their um, focus wrong. And so Paul, who's writing this, 1 Timothy 6, 17, Paul is writing to Timothy and trying to help Timothy know how to talk to the wealthy people in the church. And he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, don't be proud, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. So you see what he's saying. He says, if "You've got wherewithal, you've got financial means, but don't put your hope in it. Your hope has to be in the Lord." Amen. So he's the source of your security and your joy. He says. So he says. So don't set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. And then watch, he plays with words, who richly, okay, you're talking to the rich. Don't put your hope in the riches, but put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Amen? Put your, your hope in God, and he richly gives to you, and then you can enjoy it properly. You'd enjoy all these things, but your joy source is God. You can enjoy these things when your joy is in the life. The life that is manifest, the life that is eternal, the life that is fruitful, that produces fellowship and joy. Praise God. Amen? As we proceed in this book, 1 John, um, make it your prayer that God would take 1 John and use it in your life to, 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 and make sure that you're experiencing this eternal life, that you actually have the eternal life and the fellowship and the joy that that life is to produce. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We worship you and bless your name and ask your blessing as we think on these things. Change our lives, Lord. May we know and live this life. In Jesus' name, amen.